Hello, hello, and welcome to Out of the Box Judaism, a podcast for unpacking Jewish tradition and heritage and finding the gems in there that are meaningful to you today. I'm Esther Goldenberg, a life and spirituality coach, author, educator, and mom to two great kids who fill my life with love and laundry and inspire me to see miracles every day. I created this podcast to help shine the light on the wisdom, power, and connection that I see in Jewish traditions and customs, and of course, the Torah. That said, all belief systems are welcome here, Jewish and otherwise. And if Jewish, it is my belief that you can do Judaism exactly the way that is right for you, in your own ever-evolving life and journey, which is exactly what I do. In these episodes, I share with you some of what Judaism has to offer me, and my wish for you is that you will find the gems that it has for you. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Out of the Box Judaism podcast. I'm your host, Esther Goldenberg, and I'm really excited for today's episode because I have another wonderful guest for you. Now, this wonderful guest has been a good friend of mine for, um, I don't know, like 14 years now or something. It's a, it's a long time. Um, and she agreed to chat with me today about her experience with the mikvah. Now, Naomi Malka, who's my guest today, has been the director of the Otis Israel Mikvah for several years. And I think her official title is Director of Immersive Experiences because she does more than just manage the mikvah. But in her capacity with the mikvah, she runs a lot of educational programs and she helps people to have really wonderful, unique, positive, special experiences um, and educated experiences with the mikvah. I spoke to her today, or she spoke to me, maybe I should say, about how some of these rituals came into being, what some of the rules are around mikvah, both old and new and how people have used mikvah in the past, as well as how that is changing right now. Right now, this is actually an exciting time for the mikvah, at least in America or in progressive communities. There's a lot going on. I'm excited to bring you this wonderful interview today as we kick off reading the book of Leviticus. Now, if you're a person who has a favorite book of the Torah, then maybe Leviticus is yours, but for the most part, I hate to generalize, but I do think that a lot of people, when they think, oh, the Torah is filled with old-fashioned rules that don't, that don't apply to me, I think a lot of the time they're actually thinking about the rules in the book of Leviticus <laughs> because it talks a lot about ritual sacrifice, animal sacrifice, all kinds of blood and guts issues, all kinds of rituals that really don't necessarily speak to us today. So I was excited to kick off this book with Naomi so that we can hear a little bit about how some of these rituals came about, how they might be changing, and how we can take a view that maybe does align with our views and our practices these days. Another exciting thing about this episode is that it was actually recorded in Naomi's home. She and I spent the last two days together on a mini writing retreat to help each other move forward in our book projects. I'm currently writing a companion to my first book, which was Hypatia Academy. That's a middle grade fantasy fiction book about a young girl who goes on a reluctant quest. And I spoke a little bit about that story 
in episode 14. Um, now working on the companion book or a companion book for that um, saga. So that was really exciting to get some time blocked off to be able to attend to that and not be distracted by all kinds of other work. And Naomi is working on a nonfiction book about mikvahs, which is one of her areas of expertise. So we were really lucky to get this interview in here today, sort of as a break from our writing time, but also as a sneak preview for you, the listeners, about some of the things that she's writing about in her book that will be out later this year. So you're in for a real treat. Um, take a listen and enjoy. Naomi, it's so great to be sitting with you today. Hi. Hi. Usually when I introduce a guest, we're on a phone call, video chat, and I just talk to them and I say, thank you for joining me today, but we've already been together for like an hour or so this morning. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to be together. That's right. And yeah. for such a good cause, too, in having this um, writing time. Yeah. Because I'm really excited to have this block of time for writing myself, and I'm really excited about what you're writing and that you have this block of time to work on your mikvah book. Thanks. It's really fun to know that I can host the writing retreat at my dining room <laughs> table. Hey, it works. The price is right, and we're both getting a lot of writing done. So And good snacking. Too. I think we should do another one, frankly. Yes. Okay, but before we schedule that... <laughs> Let's talk about the mikvah. That's why I wanted to ask you to come on the podcast today, actually, was to talk about the mikvah. I love to talk about the mikvah. It's my favorite thing to talk about. I could talk about it all day long. Perfect. <laughs> so we just started the book of Leviticus, which is kind of a turnoff for some people because it talks about ancient rituals. Yes. The mikvah is definitely an ancient ritual. Yes. Um, before we talk about it too much, can you just tell us what it is? Yeah. The mikvah is a uh, ritual bath where um, immersions take place for different ritual reasons and life cycle moments. That's great. That's great. So I was thinking, I was counting my head on the way here, how many times I've been to the mikvah, hmm. which I'm not sure is something that people generally share <laughs> publicly. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you that I've been there three times. Hmm. Once was to try it out myself, and two times came before that, and they were both tours. So the first time I went on a tour of a mikvah was in Jerusalem, and it was 20-something mm. years ago. Wow. And what I saw was a beautiful space with lovely tiles mm. and a private space to take a bath with, like, all kinds of pampering things mm -hmm. before you actually go into the ritual bath. Mm -hmm. What I also saw was what's called the mikvah lady. Mm -hmm. <laughs> whose job, it was explained, is to check you for check your nail polish, make yeah. sure you have no hairs that strayed off of your head down your back, or, you know, make sure that your nails are filed. I don't remember all the rules, but what I did want to ask you yes. is if you could talk a little bit about why some people do that and why some people don't. Sure. Um... I also want to say that I remember a fourth time when you came to the mikvah <laughs> when you were koshering one of your pots. Oh, I forgot about that. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And you may have done that actually more than once. I'm not sure. Well, I remember we had guests coming in yes. who um, were just newly keeping Strictly Kosher. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have a vegan house. Yes. 
but our pots hadn't been officially koshered in the mikvah, and I wanted to make them feel comfortable, and I had certainly no trouble with putting my pots in a mikvah of water Mm -hmm. and saying a blessing and doing all the rituals Mm -hmm. so that they would feel fine about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did forget about that time. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great use of mikvah, too. So let me back up to um, your introduction of Leviticus and then bring it all the way up to your comment about the um, mikvah lady in Jerusalem and the checking. Perfect. Okay. Um, So our ancestors lived in the wilderness and the book of Leviticus is really concerned with um, how the, um, the tabernacle, the mishkan, would be built and administrated and managed. And the Mishkan was like an island of order in the midst of the chaos of the wilderness. And in the wilderness, there was fights for survival, there was hunting, there were, um, there was death at random encounters, there was um, the need to protect the young and the frail, their um, life was tenuous for our ancestors in those times. And so we had to find a way of transitioning into the Mishkan and into the order of the service that would happen in there. And that's a lot of what Leviticus describes is what are these transitional rituals that need to happen before somebody can offer an animal sacrifice, because that's at the heart of what happens at the Mishkan. And um, in an animal sacrifice, which is how our ancestors believed they were getting closer to God, um, there was also death, and there was also some blood and some guts, but we had to find a way to differentiate it from the death and the blood and the guts that we saw and encountered randomly in the wilderness. So there was recipes, there were tools, there were tongs, there were bowls, there were all of these um, orders for seders for how to carry out the sacrifices. And um, in order even to start that, one had to go through rituals in order to get ready. And so if you think about these rituals, they're actually really simple. Um, but they're really helpful in resetting one's intention. So um, they are they include immersing in water. Um, but they also include changing or washing your clothes, shaving, spending some time by yourself, um, and um, those things really help one reset their intention before walking up to the altar of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That's great. Intention is something that I wrote about in a story every week about the Torah portion of Leviticus and about how intention is so important. Even if we don't want to be touching the blood and guts right now anymore, we can still focus our intention. And the mikvah offers us that opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the um, sacrifices that were offered had the intention of um, relieving guilt, relieving shame, helping people to connect. 
And those really basic human emotions needed a um, clarity that you didn't just walk in with. So I think these rituals are, are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so we could keep talking about those, <laughs> but um, let's focus on mikvah and ritual immersion. So in Leviticus, in the Torah, it um, mentions many places so that one has to immerse and then one becomes ready. But it doesn't really talk about the mechanism for immersion. It doesn't mention um, how many times one should immerse, if one should be completely naked or wearing some clothing when they immerse. It doesn't talk about if the person needs a witness to their immersion. It doesn't offer any formulae, formula for um, blessings before an immersion. It's just, it's just really not clear. All of those questions and conversations are part of the later rabbinic work. Mm -hmm. And so that is where things get codified in terms of how to build a kosher mikvah, what that would look like, how to fill it. Does it need fresh water? Could you bring in uh, rain or ice? Or how do you collect these things in a climate that doesn't um, produce too much rain? Um, What an immersion looks like, how your body has to be prepared for that. Things like that. So um, all of those questions were really um, paramount in, in rabbinic thought. And what we were left with uh, after the destruction of the se- Second Temple when the animal sacrifice service ended and we replaced it, the rabbis replaced it with prayer as the way of getting closer to God, um, was five basic traditional um, uses of mikvah um, that all have to do with transitions um, and none of which have to do with animal sacrifice anymore. <laughs> so um, one of those is, as we said, um, people who toivel or <laughs> um, immerse their dishes. Um, people who are getting married will um, come like the week before their wedding as a way of transitioning between being single and being married. Um, married women will go on their monthly cycle if they are on a monthly cycle. Um, people who are preparing spiritually for Shabbat or for holidays will go on some kind of weekly or seasonal or yearly cycle. And um, also conversion. Mm-hmm. Those five reasons for using mikvah have been practiced for thousands of years. Um, and they all represent transitions of different types um, between um, moments in life or seasons in life um, or times of the week or times of the year or times of the month. And... Um, what has happened that I think is really interesting in the last 20, 30 years is an expansion of the number and category of people who want to go to the mikvah for other transitions. So we'll talk more about that. But I also wanted to say that um, part of the 
the reimagining of mikvah has also been the reimagining of this role of the mikvah lady or the mikvah guide, um, who traditionally is in this role of checking that you described or, um, you know, making sure that you're um, in a certain state before you go into the mikvah. And that is definitely the... Um, the most prominent stereotype of what a mikvah lady does, but I have to tell you, um, we do a lot less than that and a lot more <laughs> than that as well. Um, that um, in our mikvah, in the progressive mikvah, um, the mikvah guide is really there to facilitate a safe and meaningful immersion. If you want to be checked to make sure that there's no hairs or and that you forget you remember to remove all your jewelry and your hair barrettes and all that, then the mikvah guide can help you do that. Um, but the only time that somebody is required to have a guide or a witness to their immersion is for a conversion. So by us, we only um, require that for the halachic status change of a conversion, everybody else can choose whether they want to do this by themselves or whether they want to have a witness. And um, we've removed that kind of feeling of scrutiny um, that the mikvah guide was going to, you know, look at your toenails to make sure that you didn't have any nail polish left or, um, ask you to raise your arms and look in your armpits or, you know, anything <laughs> right. like that. Um, we just don't engage in that. And we put the responsibility for um, pre preparing to a meaningful degree onto the person who's actually immersing. Well, and that makes me think of the second time that I went on a mikvah tour, which mm -hmm. of course was guided by you. Mm -hmm. And it was many years after the first one. And it was in Washington, D.C., not in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And you really presented such a welcoming experience that the person going got to choose why and how they wanted to take this experience while still being educated about some historical options mm -hmm. and some historical reasons. Um, but placing that decision-making in our own hands to do it knowledgeably mm -hmm. um, and with meaning. And that was the second time I went. For me, that spoke to me more mm -hmm. than some than you know. For other people, the other one might speak to them more. I understand that. Sure. But um, to have that sort of background in a non-confrontational way. Yeah. And um, I know that you have at your mikvah a lot of blessings that you offer people, sort of either to use or as a jumping-off point mm -hmm. um, for reasons that they might want to come that are beyond those five reasons. Right. Yeah, so those are beautiful ceremonies that were created at Maim Chaim, which is a mikveh and educational resource center in Newton, Massachusetts. And um, they have developed a set of um, mikveh ceremonies for many different transitional moments. And for example, there are um, 40th birthday, 50th birthday, um, ceremonies. There's one for coming out. There's one for um, receiving difficult news. There's one uh, with the general intention of healing. There's another for um, the mother of the bride. There's another for becoming a bar mitzvah or parent of a bar mitzvah. 
um, or becoming bar mitzvah as an adult. Um, and I have to say, all of these ceremonies are used at our mikvah nice. um, and have been embraced by our community. Um, and um, it's really beautiful to see how people are connecting ritual immersion with transitional moments in their lives, both their Jewish life cycles and their human life cycles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like how it also shines a light on that you might be experiencing a transition now. Pay attention. So, you know, we talk about Mother of the Bride, for example. I know that's a really easy time to get caught up in what you're doing and logistics and all those sorts of things. But actually, you're transitioning now to a new role. And this offers you the opportunity to examine that a little bit. Exactly. It's as we were saying about Leviticus, (laughs) immersion is a ritual of transition when you can focus and set an intention. And the way that um, we structure the the ritual is with three immersions. And some people have a different custom. They may immerse twice or seven times or ten times. But Mm -hmm. um, we generally um, talk about three immersions, one of which... represents the past, one that represents the current moment being right here in the water right now, and the third, which represents the intention for the future. Mm -hmm. And it's just a rare moment of alignment of body, mind, soul. We don't have so many moments when we can be aligned mm-hmm. and not multitasking um, and it's just really a gift when people can step out of the busyness and the chaos of change mm-hmm. you know when our lives are changing that's when there's often the most um, disruption and to have a moment when we can really focus is a gift and the intention I think of everyone who comes regardless of what their reason is is to have a moment of connection both with ancient ritual, with God, with the water cycle of the planet, with our own bodies, with our own past and our own present. That's really a powerful thing. Well, the other time that I went, which was technically the fourth time because I had forgotten about the dishes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) was the time that I actually went to experience the mikvah myself. Mm -hmm. And I want to say it was for my 40th birthday, except I remember where I was for my 40th birthday and I wasn't anywhere near the mikvah. So I don't think that was it. I Mm -hmm. think it might have been, it was around my birthday. Maybe it was my 41st or my 42nd. I don't, I don't know. But I remember... Definitely having the space and creating the space for it, both before and after, like leading up to it. I'm going to go have this experience. I didn't know what exactly the experience was going to be, even though I had taken these tours Mm -hmm. um, many years earlier, both of them. Um, But one of the things that I definitely felt while I was there is the connection that you're talking about to ancient times. Mm. First of all, there's no distractions whatsoever. It is a fully immersive experience, Mm -hmm. and there's no pun intended there because it really is fully immersive. Um, And just being in the mikvah and knowing that people have come to a mikvah for thousands of years and felt this feeling that I was feeling, which, of course, not everybody feels all the time. In the past thousands of years, not everybody felt that each time I recognized that. But this feeling of connection... And this feeling of sort of detachment at the same time from the mm-hmm. outside world mm-hmm. and attachment to the lineage both forward and backwards and to myself. 
So beautiful. It was so, it was really so beautiful. It also makes me think, I don't know if you know anything about this. I know nothing about this, but you know, they have like these water pods now or something like that. It's like for floating, for floating. That's what it is. So I would never go to that because they have a lid and that freaks me out. Oh, so I will never go to that. (laughs) But, but I know there are a lot of people who go to that Uh and they enjoy it. And I don't know if you can speak at all to any similarities or differences between the mikvah and to floating. Well, I mean, every culture has its water ritual. This is ours. Um, But I also know that after I immerse uh, ritually each month, and I do the three immersions and I say the brachot, or I sing the brachot. The blessings. The blessings. Mm -hmm. I float for a while. Uh Yeah, Yeah. definitely do. I float for as long as I can. Um, And I let my ears fill up with water and... Then I'll sing, which sounds really different when your ears have water in them. Um, the acoustics in the mikvah are pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it takes a certain imagination to feel like I'm on a large ocean or, you know, that this is connected to uh, all of the water on planet Earth. But I do try to reach that. Um, That's interesting because I had the opposite feeling actually and I don't remember what it feels like to be in the womb but I felt more womb-like rather than connected to the ocean. Hmm. You know, like this is, it's warm and it's, you're fully immersed in the water, like you said, in your ears and it sounds different and again, I don't remember what it was actually like in the womb but I got more of an impression (laughs) and my focus and and attention was more on that than on connecting with the ocean waters. Now, you can use ocean or river, right, as a mikvah. Absolutely. That is um, a fully kosher uh, mikvah. And uh, it just has to be a um, flowing body of water or body of water with a tide um, that is deep enough to immerse in one vertical motion. In other words, not like in a bathtub where you would have to shimmy down to (laughs) get covered, um, but where you could do it um, standing up. Um, and, uh, a stagnant body of water, probably it it wouldn't work and you probably wouldn't want to go in it Mm -hmm. anyway. But yes, to me, those are the ideal mikvahs, um, because you do, I do feel much more connected when I'm in nature, Mm -hmm. but, um, for reasons of privacy and also for, um, comfort and temperature reasons, uh, a mikvah is um, an indoor option, and it's a halachic solution, mm-hmm. uh, a solution that Jewish law created to deal with privacy and with uh, being able to do it year-round. Right, right. And of course, when mikvahs were created, we didn't have the hygiene options that we have now of indoor plumbing or running water right in the house. Um, but when you talk about immersing into a river or an ocean, that's deep enough for you to be fully vertical and mm-hmm. it's flowing water, it makes me think about cleanliness. I mean, you really don't want to go into a stagnant pond in the desert right. <laughs> and come out. You're not going to come out cleaner than when you started. You're going to come out right. with more filth on you. So Absolutely. Yeah. Now, of course, we have different options for cleanliness, but it still provides an interesting ritual. And I think um, that awareness of um, modern, postmodern um hygiene and infrastructure actually gives us a lot of compassion for our ancestors and the conditions that they had to exist in and also the 
the conditions that other people in other parts of our world still exist in. Yeah. Um, even like having a clean towel after a shower is uh, a privilege and having a shower with running warm water in it is a privilege. So um, sometimes, you know, keeping those um, experiences in mind is also a, an affirming thing. Yeah, I love that because that you can that you can do in your own shower. Yeah, and you can, and you can do it in a mikvah and in an ocean. But to just draw the attention to that, yeah, to the privileges that we are, most of us are privileged to every day and take for granted. Yeah, it's nice to go into them with gratitude and appreciation. Absolutely, we've also done some really fun mikvah programs, just in pools. Mm. Um, and we didn't consider it to be a kosher immersion, but um, we practiced um, what immersing three times and saying two blessings would be like. And um, I love it because people can do it together, uh, whereas an indoor mikvah might be too small and an ocean isn't always accessible. But a pool can be a fun place to um, immerse three times, say a blessing of... Um, Blessing God for the even the idea of being able to immerse and um, immersing again. Thanking God, blessing God for keeping us alive and sustaining us and bringing us to this moment. And blessing, uh, immersing again. That's great. Yeah. So that's, great. that's simple. Great. Well, I know you really could talk about this for hours. And it's actually interesting enough to continue listening to. But we're going to have to, I think, wait for the book. Yeah. For the rest of it. Good. <laughs> Look forward to that. Thanks. Thank you so much for talking to me today, though. Thanks, Esther. That was my interview with Naomi Malka, the director of Immersive Experiences at Otis Israel Congregation in Washington, D.C. Her book will be finished coming up soon actually and will be released later this year she does not have a date just yet or a website for it so i will update my website outoftheboxjudaism.com so that you can find out when and where to get her book you can also subscribe to outoftheboxjudaism.com and get the story every week in your inbox that was something that naomi and i talked about a little bit earlier and of course, all important updates like when Naomi's book is released, where you can get it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and write a review on iTunes that helps other people know about us. Of course, you can always tell your friends. That helps other people know about us too. Thanks so much, and I look forward to talking Torah with you again soon. Mm-hmm.